0: Thanks for listening. The following audio is a teaching from Calvary Tucson's young adult ministry, Ignition. For more teachings, information, or if you'd like to support our ministry, please visit us online at ignitiontucson.com. We pray you're blessed by the message. Father, we want to first just acknowledge you, your presence, your faithfulness. Lord, we acknowledge the fact that you don't have to show up here. Uh, you don't have to meet us here in a special way, but You've promised to do so. Lord, we don't want to be those who quench the Spirit. We don't want to be those who rush into routine and depend on our own understanding and on our own resources and leave You out. Lord, we, we very much need You. We are desperate, Lord, uh, for You to take control. And so as we do put all these elements together, the fellowship and the Word and the worship, Lord, we desperately need Your Holy Spirit to make this of eternal value. And so we ask that tonight. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters here tonight that you'd continue to encourage them in this season that we find ourselves in, that you can continue to strengthen them spiritually. Lord, that you'd keep your hand upon them and keep them healthy. We think of those who are sick right now, that you touch them, that you would heal them, that you would even do miracles. We believe, Lord, that you can do all things and that you are the great physician. And we pray for our Bible study tonight, Lord God, that you'd open our understanding to your word that the Word of God is, is not discerned or understood to the, to the fleshly man, to the carnal person, but to the spiritual man, to the spiritual woman, it is discerned. So make us, uh, fill us with the Holy Spirit. Give us that discernment that only the Spirit can give us tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Not by sight. That's the title of tonight's message. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7 Paul says a little line in the middle of a point that he's making. He says, for we walk by faith and not by sight. In the Christian path, in the Christian pursuit in life, it's a pursuit within faith. And it's actually contrasted by the pursuit using your eyes. Walking with sight. The idea is that if we are to live a life of faith, our physical eyes and the things that we perceive physically around us cannot be what ultimately dictate our actions. It cannot be what ultimately leads us. It's it's easy. It's the most obvious thing to follow, right? What you can see and smell and taste and touch and go after. But God says if you want to live a life of faith, you cannot primarily walk by sight. Two opposing things. Our lives, your life's greatest decisions, must be directed by God must be acted upon in faith and therefore must be perceived through spiritual eyes, primarily. Your physical eyes cannot be what dictates your life. What career will you choose? Who will you marry? Where will you settle down? Where will you live? And most importantly, how do you get to heaven? These are questions that you cannot just figure out merely with your five senses, merely with walking by sight. You must discern these things spiritually and you must act according to faith because God is the one who will speak to you and God is spirit and he will speak to you in spirit to live by faith guys and to live by sight these are two different ways of life altogether and they lead to two different paths and to two different places and if you want to end up where God wants you to be then you must walk by faith What we're going to see in this chapter is an example of someone who did walk by faith, Abram. He wasn't perfect, as we've already noticed through Genesis, but he was a man of faith. And in this chapter, we start to see his faith really start to hit a rhythm. He really starts to walk by faith in the Lord. And he's contrasted by his nephew, Lot, who becomes to us the epitome of someone who walks by sight and pays for it. Let's jump right in. Verse 1. It says, so Abram went up from Egypt. He and his wife... And all that he had. And Lot with him into Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. And he journeyed on from Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning. Between Bethel and Ai, the place, get this, where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord, Yahweh. He called upon the name of his God, the God of promise. Now just to recap Abram received the call to go to the promised land when he was in Ur years prior, okay? God told him, leave your father's house, leave your family and go to a land that I will show you and I will show you when you get there. But instead, Abram, not walking by faith fully, goes with his father to a land where his father takes him and he's delayed in his calling. We we talked about that a few weeks back. Well, his father eventually dies, and Abram assumes leadership over this caravan. And he says, well, we better get up and kind of see what that whole God thing was about, you know, a year or two ago, however long it was. So he goes down, he starts going south into the land of Canaan, and God comes to him, he says, this is it, Abraham. This is the promised land. You are here. And Abram looks around, he's like, this can't be it, because there's a famine in the land. And we talked about the, the importance of expecting, anticipating adversity within the call of God. Just because it's the promised land doesn't mean there's not going to be difficult times. In fact, God uses the difficulties, the trials to grow our faith, to strengthen our faith. You don't grow in patience. You don't grow in faith when things are easy, when, when food is abundant, when you can be lazy and sit on the couch and play video games and not worry about anything. In those seasons, you do not grow. But it's the difficult times. So Abram, not expecting adversity, bailed on the call of God. Where did he go? He goes southward to Egypt. He finds himself in Egypt, falling back into what he used to know, how to to make a living in in a big city, make a living in the world's economy. And he does that, but he's deceitful. He's lying. He's looking out for his own skin. He's putting his wife at danger. And he gets rebuked by a non-believing king. God speaks to the Pharaoh of Egypt and he's like you better tell abraham to get his stuff together cuz he needs that's his wife for one you got to watch you better watch out you know keep your hands to yourself and send them on the road and so abram gets rebuked he hits the road he's like okay back to where god originally had called me and he arrives in the promised land yet again and notice it says that he built there an altar like he did at the, he came to the altar where he built it first This is a picture of Abram returning back as it says in Revelation chapter 2. Jesus was rebuking the church in Revelation chapter 2 and he says, you have left your first love. You've forsaken your first calling and your first love. He says, therefore, return to the first works. Go back to the the early works when you first became a Christian. Go back to that first love, that first excitement when you first felt Jesus calling you and tugging on your heart that excitement that Jesus is not only real but he loves me he's he is speaking to me he is drawing me into a relationship go back to that place and that's what Abraham's doing he's going back to that altar he first built re recommitting himself to the call that God's placed on him one thing that we like to say here at Ignition in fact one of our values is called the simple gospel gospel simplicity what we mean by this is that the Christian walk, your faith as a disciple of Christ, will not progress uh, and be successful, for lack of a better word, by intellectual ascent, by climbing the ladder of position at a church. No, that's not successful Christianity. A successful disciple of Christ is one who is able to continually return back to the simple gospel. Continually to return back to the cookies on the bottom shelf. That Jesus loves me, this I know for the Bible tells me so. Continue to return back to your utter dependence on God's grace. That is a successful Christian. That is a true disciple. Someone who remains remains and abides in the first love and in the first works. And here we see Abram returning to that in the promised land. Verse 5. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. And at that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. So here they are. God is providing in his calling. He's providing for Lot and Abram. In fact, they're rich. According to that day and age, they would have been considered very wealthy men. So much so that they can't live on the same plot of land anymore and there's contention. Well, it's, it's almost like deja vu because as soon as he gets back to his first love, guess what? Bam, there's more adversity. God has more adversity waiting for him right there. Only this time, it's not economic adversity and famine. Guess what? It's relational adversity. And I'll tell you, this is far more common. Relationships are hard. People are messed up and selfish, every one of us. And if you're going to get close to anyone, you're going to be let down. If you're going to have serious relationships and and get involved with people, get involved in uh, small groups and churches, you are going to have drama. You see, you might not realize this yet, but the promised land is full of messed up people. And so is the church. The church is not a place where only the socially acceptable get together, the people who know, always know what to say at the right time to make you feel comfortable, the people who never say anything off color, who never accidentally offend. The, that's not what church is. Church is a place full of sinners, people who are spiritually sick, who need spiritual medicine, who need Jesus Christ, who need forgiveness, who need grace. Grace. A church should be a place where broken people can come and step on each other's toes and we give each other grace to grow, like Brother Ben was was speaking and preaching earlier. This is a place where we all need grace to grow. Why am I hammering this so hard? I'm hammering it because it can be very discouraging to be a young believer and to have that expectation and to think, well, he's a pastor. I mean, surely he's got it all together, well, he, he's going to mentor me. or She's this mature Christian woman. She's, she's an older woman. She's been walking with the Lord for how long? And you have these high expectations only to realize maybe sooner or down the road they end up failing you. They're actually a sinner like you are. They're, they're flawed. They're not totally and entirely thoughtful like you were hoping all the time. That can be devastating when that first hits you. And so I'm not trying to lower your expectations Those are good, healthy expectations to have. We should be loving one another at church. But I'm telling you that the only person that's incapable of failing you is Jesus Christ. So if you are to be in fellowship and in the call of God, you can expect the adversity of relational drama, just like what Abraham is experiencing right now. The herdsmen are bickering. But Abraham, he he gives us one scriptural principle as far as how you can deal with it. Verse 8. Then Abram said to Lot, Hey, Lot, let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. We're family, Lot. Let's not fight. Let's not have this bickering taking place. Verse 9. It's not the whole land before you. Separate yourself from me. What? I thought, like, I thought Abram had the answers. I thought he was going to be able to fix this and reconcile this relationship. No, let's not fight, Lot. We're family. Like, let's... Let's be loving. Let's not let our herdsmen bicker. But that's okay. You can go over there or wherever you want to go, but you got to go. I don't know where you're going to go, but you got to go. That's where he, that's basically what Abraham says. like, for the sake of peace, you're going to have to leave lot, but you can go wherever you want. Romans 12 verse eight is an interesting principle. It says that as much as it pertains to you, be at peace with all men. That's a great way to live your life. As, as much power as you have control of, use that to be at peace with people. And I want to tell you that sometimes, sometimes the only power you have to have peace in a relationship is by creating healthy boundaries. I don't know if you've heard this before, but you need to. You are not obligated to all the time reconcile the relationship and make sure you pretend to be something you're not when there's clearly there needs to be some space. Sometimes the only control you have is to create some healthy distance. There comes a point in a Christian's life when it's time to say, look, I love you. I forgive you. There is no bitterness. I don't want any bitterness. And I want to part well. I want to part well in peace. But nevertheless, we need to part right now. We need to do that. You don't need to, if God is leading you to that, you don't need to view that as a relational failure, as a moral failure. It's a scriptural principle that we see here. In fact, we see it in Acts. The Apostle Paul who wrote, be at peace with all people, as much as it pertains to you. He himself found himself in a relational conflict, in some relational drama. And it was with someone very close to him. It was actually one of his mentors, you could say, an encourager in his life. His name was Barnabas. And in Acts 15, they came to a disagreement, and it says that their contention arose and became so sharp that they had to part ways. And so what happened was they parted ways. Barnabas took with him John Mark, Paul took with him Silas, I believe it was, and God ended up making two missions teams out of what was just one missions team. So there was some some progress there. But what's interesting about that is nowhere in the text does God tell us who was actually right. Nowhere does it say, and Barnabas had to repent, and he eventually came around and said sorry. No, it didn't tell us who was right. It just left us with they parted ways. We eventually see their relationship become peaceable again. But never was it one guy's fault or the other guy's fault. It was just an instance of sometimes you just separate. Sometimes God is just calling you to separate. And it could be that very thing happening here God using relational conflict with Lot's herdsmen in order to get Lot out of the picture. God loves Lot. God loves Abraham. Abraham loves Lot. Lot loves Abraham. But conflict arose separating Lot from him. And guess what? Do you realize now Abraham is more in the call of God than he was when Lot was with him? He was to separate himself from his father's household. That included Lot. And so in this drama, again, in this conflict, God is working it to, to refine Abram, to get him closer and closer into his call. Sometimes space is the best option for peace. But look how he handles this. Look how Abram handles it, the end of verse nine here. He says, if you take the left hand, then I will go right. If you take the right hand, I will go left. Clearly, we should, we should create some distance here. But La, I want you to you have preference. Where do you want to go, man? I love you. I don't want to be bitter. I don't want this to be bad. I want you to, to go wherever you want to go. His motivation wasn't retaliation. His motivation, he wasn't hoping Lot would get stuck with some bad plot of land. He wasn't sending Lot off so he could talk trash about Lot. He was loving Lot. He said, hey, we're going we're to part peaceably Look at, look at the land. Go where you feel led to go. Where is God leading you to go? I trust God to take care of me. Go where you feel he's leading you to go. Verse 10. It says, And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was watered. What did he lift up? He lifted up his, his eyes. That's right. And he saw the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zor. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley. And Lot journeyed east, thus they separated from each other. So, another great example in this that Abram gives us in the life of faith, and I love this, this is something that really resounded to me in this chapter, is that Abram did not strive for the best, but he just trusted God. He did not push Lot out of the way to get to the front of the line, to the best land. He just sat back. He didn't strive. He just trusted God. Psalm 16, verse 5, it says this, O oh Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance. You are my cup. And you maintain my lot. You see, the psalmist understood the same thing. That of all the world has to offer, it pales in comparison to simply having God in your life to simply being where God wants you to be and being in right relationship, in right standing with God. That is the greatest. And the psalmist is like, God, you are my reward. You are my portion. You are the thing I get the most enjoyment out of now. Of all the things I could wish for, you are the greatest and I have you. I have you, God. Not only that, but you, the God of the universe, you maintain my inheritance. So when you have God, you have all that you need and he adds other things unto it unto you. He, he, he provides the things that the world chases after. He gives you those things. He throws those things in. I love what C.S. Lewis said. He said, if you aim for the earth, you will miss. If you aim for this world, you will miss. But if you aim for heaven, you'll, you'll hit it and get the earth thrown in with it. Like God provides. This isn't a sermon on God wants you to be rich. Don't, understa- don't misunderstand me. God wants you to have what He's designed you to have. And that is where true contentment is found. Some of you, he might want to be rich, but I can guarantee you, he does not want all of you to be rich. I guarantee it. He wants us to be healthy, but I guarantee he'll allow you to get sick. He'll allow the trials to come. The idea is not riches. Is not, that's, walking, that's what walking by sight is, guys. Riches, health, that's all the stuff that people can clearly see with their eyes. All the benefits that make people want to run to the front of the line. And push people down and strive for the best. That's walking by sight, but that's not what God has for you. God has, get this, something that the lot, winning a lottery can't even get you. He has contentment, true contentment, satisfaction, understanding you have what you need when you have God. And this was Abram's mentality. And I find comfort knowing that I don't have to strive for the best in order to have the best. You don't. In fact, getting the best is not, is not attained by striving for it. It's found in letting others go first. Receiving the best in your life will never be found in striving for it, but in letting others go first and trusting God to provide what you need. That's what it means to walk by faith and not by sight. Lot, on the other hand, he shops for the land with his eyes. Well, I, I can have whatever I want. Let me see. And he lifted up his eyes and he looked toward the Jordan. He said, that's a beautiful piece of land right there. That's what I want. And he went towards it, towards the cities of wickedness. We'll find out. And if I could take some spiritual liberty here and stretch this spiritual application a little bit, I want to talk to you about how you shop for a spouse. Just kind of pertinent in this, I think, in this season of life for you all. And I want to tell you that you should not be shopping for a spouse primarily with your eyes. Like I was there, I, was, I remember being 19, 20, 21, thinking, oh, she's pretty, oh, her, her, you know, she could be nice. You know? Lord, don't make me marry someone I, I'm not attracted to, right? Something, it was kind of scary for me. But you can trust God. And I want to tell you, your eyes are not sufficient to confirm to you who Mr. or Mrs. Wright is. In fact, eyes your eyes will often fail you, big time. So many people have been led into unhealthy relationships because they were shopping with their eyes. They were walking by sight, not by faith. And all they were concerned with was the outer beauty. And they forgot about the faith aspect, the heart. There's a humorous proverb, um, Proverbs 11.22, And it says that a beautiful woman, you could say man to a handsome man, it's applicable, but a beautiful woman who lacks discretion is like a gorgeous golden ring in the snout of a pig. Just quite a picture. But what it's saying is that when you shop with your eyes, when you walk by sight, when you're trying to find a spouse, you'll become obsessed with the physical, so much so that you'll do anything for that that gorgeous little ring. Oh, it's such a beautiful little ring. And then before you know it, you're stuck with a pig. You're stuck with someone who's self-centered, who doesn't know God, who doesn't love you because they only love themselves. They know they're attractive and they want everyone else to know that, and it makes you miserable in that relationship as well. You cannot primarily shop with your eyes.